1: Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. We're going to bring in mystery guest number three, and that is Matt Miller. He's an NFL drop insider for ESPN. He was previously with Bleacher Report. You know, it's funny. I actually, I used to work for Bleacher Report as a copy editor back in like the early 2010s, or I guess not the early 2010s, like 2013, 2014. And I was, I edited several of Matt Miller's articles and he was pretty good then. And I remember at the time, because that was like, of, that was a previous life of Bleacher Report, where you had some high quality stuff, and then you had some really sketchy stuff just filtering in from people who probably shouldn't be writing, you know, and 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 so if you it was it would stand out whenever I'd get one of his articles because I was like, no, this guy's legit. <laughs> uh and then and then it was not so it's not a surprise to me that he's moved on to espn he's he's a very well respected draft analyst so it's good to catch up with him but without further ado let's
0: play that clip obviously we are knee deep in mock draft season and looking at yours at pick number 14 with the saint uh you've got them taking tight end brock bowers which would be an awesome upgrade at the tight end position uh just what have you seen out of the georgia prospect heading into the combine
2: Oh my gosh, he's, he's close to perfect as a tight end prospect. And I'll say this, uh, he is a top 10 player in this draft, but because of positional value is available at this spot for the Saints. And I, I did look at this as a best player available type pick uh, with the quarterbacks off the board. So that's a, a big part of that equation. But Bowers is a, a player I've compared him to George Kittle. I think that's the type of weapon you're getting offensively. Uh, maybe not as accomplished as a blocker as Kittle is right now, but certainly has the ability to get better. He's strong. But, I mean, as a pass catcher, he's so versatile. And even at times for Georgia, he's running the ball out of the backfield. I mean, he's just such a, a dynamic asset in the, in the offense. So he is someone that, you know, with changes offensively, I think there's going to be a need for that number two option in the passing game. And for me, Bowers can be that guy.
1: I think that's an interesting point is like the position of value, because, you know, as you mentioned, so all these star tight ends in the NFL, but you look around, you're like Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. None of these guys were first round picks. So I guess, how do you yeah. kind of weigh that when you have it's like, okay, this is a generational type tight end prospect, but at the same time, the value might not be there. And you look at it kind of similar to running backs where it's like, yeah, Saquon Barkley has been a star, but has he been good enough to justify taking him number two overall, right? Kyle Pitts, for example, with the yeah. Falcons. i was curious to say, how do you kind of evaluate that when you look at a guy
2: like Brock? I think the nice thing about Brock, as opposed to someone, you know, like, and I know Saints fans know Kyle Pitts. Well, you play him twice a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brock is able to play in line. He's able to block. He's able to help in the run game. Whereas you know, Kyle Pitts, is a, he's a big wide receiver, basically. And that's not a knock on him. There's, a, there's value in that. And you look at his rookie year, and there's value in that. I think the difference is Kyle Pitts is a player you have to scheme for. Brock Bowers is not. He, to me, is more in the mold of someone like Sam Laporta, uh, who was, you know, picked 34 last year, goes to the Lions, has a huge impact. Uh, he's, you know, someone a little bit more like TJ Hawkinson, or in that Kittle mold of they're going to be on the field every down, And by virtue of their ability, you can move them around. But you don't have to put them in the slot. You don't have to get them in motion. They're a tight end that you can run your offense through. I don't want to compare anyone to Travis Kelsey because I think he's in kind of a tier by himself, what he's done the last 11, 12 years. But it's that idea. And I think that's why even last year we saw so many tight ends drafted in the first hundred picks we saw eight of them or nine maybe in the first hundred last year Uh, because teams are saying now we can run our offense through the middle of the field you know with timing based offense with option routes we've got quarterbacks who can move now so I I think Bowers does fit that that mold of we're rethinking the tight end position to where it it is still valuable I think you know you can look at look at what they're being paid tight ends are not as valuable as wide receivers based on how they're being paid but you know we saw four teams in the championship conference championship games who you could make an argument their tight end is one of their most important assets in the passing game.
0: Protecting Derek Carr obviously a big issue last season and something the Saints are going to need to upgrade either through the draft or free agency and I know this tackle class is chock full of some stud talent maybe the one of the best position groups in this year's draft. Do you see something that could shake out for the Saints in this draft in the early rounds, where they could end up picking someone there.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, give give up 35 sacks last year, (laughs) something that's gotta give, you know? And unfortunately the Trevor Penning pick has not panned out uh, the way, you know, that you spend a first round pick on a guy you're hoping he's a a foundational piece. So I think so, yes. Um, Long story short, what's interesting about this tackle class is there are two guys and they're gonna go really early, Joe Ault and Olu Fashano, they're gonna go top seven picks probably. After that, there's a lot of good tackles, but they're all right tackles. And obviously, Ryan Remchick's a pretty dang good right tackle. So you get into this conversation of, can we move a guy over? Can we move uh, Talise Fuaga from Oregon State, who's a great right tackle? Can he flip sides? Or Amarius Mims from Georgia, who only started eight games in college, but I would say those eight games are as good a tape as any tackle in this class. Can he move? Could Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma make the move to left tackle? We saw him do that a little bit at the senior bowl. So because I think the need is more, I would argue more specific to that left side, you start to look at the first round and say, you know, would we be better with a Brock Bowers? Would we be better with if one of the wide receivers falls? And then we get into later rounds looking at where's their good value with the left tackles. Someone like Patrick Paul from Houston I think is a really good option. He could be there at 45, someone who had, you know, six foot seven, really good mover. So not that first round pick, which we all want left tackles to be first round picks because you find such great uh, players in that range. But I think round two this year is a spot where having that 45th pick is going to be really important that maybe you're finding your left tackle a little bit later.
1: You know, those first round grades, I know you wrote about this recently where I think you said that you had 15 players or so with with first round grades. And I think it is interesting because when you draft where the Saints are, you're at number 14. So it's like if you have 15 players with first round grades, you can guarantee you get one of those players. Yeah. But is it one of the players at a position of need? And and I think that's where you, you run into this ideology of like every team will probably say, hey, we're going to take the best player available. But a lot of time it's hey, we'll take the best player available at a position we need, right? You're not right, necessarily right. fully in that, in that mode. So I guess when you, when you are looking at the board at number 14, do you have to be willing to just kind of let it come to you and, and, and go by your board? Or how do, you, how do you look at that from a philosophical standpoint?
2: I'm a big believer in best player available at a position of need. You know, I don't, if the best player available is a fullback, you don't, you're not drafting, him, right? And it's like you might, have a, you might have a perfect grade on a guard I'm going to draft in a garden. The first round is hard for me just because of the positional value, you know, and, and the numbers say you can find a pretty good guard outside the first round. So I think you have to look at those core positions, quarterback, wide receiver, left tackle on offense, pass rusher or a corner on defense is really where we're going to see a lot of the first round picks going And I think for the Saints at 14, we're probably going to see four quarterbacks off the board we're probably going to see three wide receivers off the board. And I think there's a good chance we're going to see three offensive tackles off the board. So like you're eliminating a lot of those premium positions, but the good news is, you know, that one of the top corners could be there. One of the top pass rushers could be there. And even if you're not in a position to take one of them, it is going to give you a lot of good trade back opportunities. So, you know, I wouldn't advocate for some of the massive round one trades we've seen the Saints do in the past, but, you know, maybe you kick back three or four spots and get a little extra draft capital and then you're more in the neighborhood of where you want to be for a, one of those tackles that you're going to have to move or you know maybe maybe the first guard comes off the board in the 20s i think that's a more comfortable spot than the 14 when you add in the the extra draft capital that you would get from the trade back
0: Checking out the Saints pick in your uh, the second round of your mock draft. Really like the pick. Jeff, you got to see Xavier Leggett out at the Senior Bowl. Uh, seems like a perfect replacement for a guy like Michael Thomas, who I don't think anyone is expecting back with the black and gold.
2: Yeah, and powerful. It was kind of like Thomas in that mold of like, he's just going to physically overpower you to get to the ball. Uh, didn't run as well in person as I expected. Um, I was a little surprised by that, but he does on tape show run after catch ability. And, he has speed. You know there are moves on his tape where he is, you know, putting a shoulder on a guy and then breaking away for a long run. So that ability there, when you have a Chris Olave, you can go with I think a more physical option opposite him, somebody that is going to be your you know, a little bit of your power forward type wide receiver. And that's what that's who Leggett is. So again, trying to build out this team with, that has a, a decent amount of needs and perpetual salary cap problems. I really went into this thinking, like, how can you turn something into a strength? You got an offense that was productive last year. It was the number nine ranked offense in the NFL last year based on points. So how can you turn something into a strength? Showing up the offensive line definitely is, is in mind. But getting Bowers and like getting big body pass catchers that have run after catchability could really open things up.
1: Sharp pivot here, but this is something I've been wondering about because, you know, I think when you're a team that's looking for kind of a a nickel corner prospect in the draft, I think there's a disconnect between at times, Okay, you played a ton in the slot in college versus you profile to the slot at the NFL level. Like a guy like Mike still he played a ton of the slot in college. yeah. But a lot of times it's like, yeah, you're the best. You're an NFL prospect. You're going to be put in the most premium position, which isn't always in the slot. So I'm curious if there are any either safety cornerback prospects that you Love in terms of transitioning to being a slot corner in the NFL as you kind of go through maybe the first three rounds of of this draft.
2: Yeah, Isaiah still is definitely one of them. Uh, Andrew Phillips at Kentucky is another one that I think fits that mold, and he'll probably be like a early third round pick. But he had a great senior bowl week. I mean, his his instincts, his closing ability, like they scream inside player to me. But he's tough enough to play inside. 5'10", uh, 190 pounds is, is the reason that he's probably looked at as an inside guy as opposed to an outside because all the skill sets there. So he definitely fits that mold. Uh, Jeremy Jones, Florida State, a little bit of a not late round, but later probably around five. Uh, another guy that I think fits that mold of just going to be a really, really good nickel for a long time. And mm-hmm. there's so much value in that, that uh, that he definitely fits that that group as well.
0: ESPN's Matt Miller, thank you again. Definitely looking forward to more of your stuff coming out with the uh, NFL Combine cranking up. You bet, guys. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks again to Matt Miller for coming on. And, uh, you know,
1: well, we can go back right to the beginning of that interview. You asked him about this. He put out a mock draft in the at the number 14 overall pick. He had the Saints landing Brock Bowers. And, mm. you know, you can talk all you want about positional value. And we did, you know, we, we did talk about positional value. Uh, but I, you know, it's like, he's like, oh man, I really want left tackle, man. I really want edge rusher. (laughs) I would, I I would be very much fine with the saints being like, give me Brock. Um, and, and you you look at it and you say, okay, why, why is, is a tight end that valuable at the NFL level where you take them in the first round, particularly top Mm -hmm. half of the first round and conventional wisdom would say no and recent history would say no. Because even the guys you talk about, like the Travis Kelsey's, the Mark Andrews, right? The Sam Laporte's, these guys weren't first round picks. Right. But I do think Brock is that good. And I do think this offense, one of the keys to this offense is unlocking the middle of the field. And I don't think you've been able to do it as well as you want to. I still like Juwan Johnson. I think he's still going to be, even if you draft Brock, he's still going to be a major piece of this offense. But I think Brock is just a bit more versatile from a, as a wide tight end, as an inline tight end, that you you're not tipping your hand as much when you put him on the field, and and I just I, I would love that pick personally if he got there.
0: Yeah, and uh, we talked about it a little about obviously no one's expecting Michael Thomas back. A big physical target uh, for Derek Carr could only help this offense for sure. And then you mentioned with Juwan, uh, I know the Saints like him. Obviously, he just got you know paid, but Uh, add a little spark under him to maybe even, you know, boost what he's doing even more because it's like, all right, we got this guy coming in. I got to show myself again.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the thing that you want is you're asking yourself, okay, is he a valuable player? Is he, is he a competent NFL tight end that you can run out there and have success with? And I think the answer is yes, but what is his ceiling? And I think if you're, if you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, we we really want an elite top and tight end option to help unlock this offense and to give Derek Carr uh, a safety valve and just a, a weapon in the middle of the field. I just think that's such a significant upgrade. And it's no offense to Juwan. I love Jawan, But, you know, like I think you you you, you went UDFA shopping, right? And, and you found a guy who is much better than you probably... Ever would have thought coming out of college at what he's doing he converted from wide receiver to tight end he's done a great job and he's still and he's going to be a piece of this offense whether you have brock or not but i i don't think that his existence on the roster would make you say yeah we already we're set at tight end we don't we don't need a tight end when you have the elite option on the board and you know the other thing we talked about it's like you're drafting at 14 so you don't necessarily have the luxury of being able to say well this is who we want, right? You have all you have first round grades, and it depends how many you have, but you get to fourteen, and it's not a question of whether you which of the first round grades you want; it's which of the first round grades is still on the board, you right. know. And so, I, I don't think Brock's going to get there, so it might not even be a conversation they have to have when they get to on the clock at fourteen. But I I think that you know positional value need versus want, you know. You're gonna take the best player available, but are you always taking the best player available if it's at a position you don't need? I don't know. But I'm okay with that. The other pick was Xavier Leggett, the wide receiver out of South Carolina. He's a guy we talked about uh when I came back from the senior bowl. Like I really, I really appreciated what he was able to do out there. Just a big physical guy. Not, I don't think as polished as a Mike Thomas when he came out of Ohio State, but they can do a lot of the same things. And so if you're trying to find a way to replace him in the offense, another second round pick. Wouldn't be a terrible spot to try to do that, and that's not necessarily to say it has to be uh, Leggett. But I don't hate the idea of you know finding a new weapon, new big physical, big bodied weapon. So I like both those picks. I think I think he's
0: on the right track. I think you are going to spend some some draft capital on offense this year. It was interesting though. They uh, the two picks were on offense uh, from Miller, but not on the offensive line. It was just adding more weapons for Derek Carr. Yeah, and at the end of the day, that's going to be a really
1: difficult uh, hurdle to get over if you're, you know, you're looking at an Fashanu or or like a Fuanga drops, right? And you're just like, oh, but I really want Brock, though. And and you're going to have like the tight ends. Co- you're going to have Clancy's being like, guys, guys, you see this guy? You watched some Georgia games over the last few years, right? You, you don't think... <laughs> you don't think it's the guy we should at? We should we should we should at? Uh, and, and then, you know, the offensive, you know, and then John Benton's going to be like, get out of here.
0: <laughs> yeah, poor Clancy's like with last year's tight end class, we got nobody.
1: It is going to be interesting, though, because you do have a new offensive staff. So who's going to be the loudest? Yeah. You know, right. who's going to have the most conviction? And it's not only the position coaches, right? There's this whole scouting element involved here. And they're going to have their 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 grades and their reports. And. You know, but at the end of the day, the position coaches have to have some input and some feedback. And like, that's why you'll see in the in the war room, you'll see like, oh, they pick a cornerback out of Tennessee and the defensive, the D-backs coach is like, yes, got him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then the other guy's like, son of a bitch. Uh, Anyway, but so we'll see. But I, I thought that was a lot of great insight. From Matt, you know, he gave us some insight into the nickel corners. I think that's going to be an interesting market. I don't know if that's something you look at first two rounds, but like, for example, C.J. Gardner-Johnson was a fourth-round pick. You can find high-quality nickel cornerback prospects in the third, fourth, fifth round. So, like, those are some guys that I think uh, you want to look at, um, whether they handle in free agency or not. But, uh, yeah, that's it. Anything else from you?
0: Uh, No, just the fact that, uh, you know, mock draft season, obviously in full swing and – man oh man there's been so many different uh outcomes for the saints i've seen at number 14 it's it's pretty wild right now from offensive lineman tight end uh defensive end uh it's all over the place no there's a whole there's so many different paths they can take and, and
1: that's a good thing because at 14 like what we talked about you don't get to pick your path the path arrives and you Come take you. it right <laughs> right so the fact that there's you know, like I think this is a deep enough draft where sitting at 14, you don't feel like you have to make a move, but you can if you if you really love a guy. But I just like if you do that, you better be right. This you you better not be guessing at all if you're gonna make a move up the board, knowing what we know and knowing about the the assets they have and the misses they've had in the first round over the last few years. And so, like, and I think this is a big draft. I really do. Like, I think you know, you don't need a 2017, but you gotta get something. You know, you need multiple contributors out of this draft. However, that shapes up, you need to be able to add young, affordable talent on the first two days of the draft. You only have two picks right now because you don't have a third rounder. So I
0: will say, with the with the lack of success with those early round picks that this team has had, unfortunately, of late, uh, I was pr- surprised to see that the uh, Justin Matthews, their pro scout, the national scout, Mike Ball. And the area scout Casey Talley and Ireland were, won the Inside the League scouting awards. It's like, how did that happen?
1: No, they scout well. It's not it, it, like we get we get really caught up in the in the first round grades. And yeah, I don't know if the scout, you know, the, the the true value of the scouts isn't. You know, you know a lot about the first round guys. Like it's those are the guys you are overloaded with information about. But what about the Rashid Shahids, right? What about you know Marcus Colston, right? Guys like that, guys that show up, Jawan Johnson, right? Guys that you didn't expect to get a ton of value out of, and you are Carl Granderson, right? That, like those, that's where scouts really make their money. The top end evaluators are not always the same, like the area scouts, guys who find Caden Ellis, right? Um, so that's that's where you win your, that's where you, that's where you make your money as a scout. Now the selection process, I think, in terms of these top end grades comes down to these interviews and and i think that's where you get a lot of insight into these younger guys or these uh top end guys but but no it, it is funny because you're, you're gonna see a lot of grief levied at the at the scouts because because of a guy like trevor penning because of a guy like peyton turner marcus davenport but when you look at the overall picture you found a lot of you know you got alvin kamara in the third round you got michael thomas in the second round like you get you got marcus williams in the third round right you got Toronto said like there's a lot of really really effective scouting going on and it goes back a long time, um, but yeah it, it would be, it would be helpful if you if you didn't uh, miss in the first round.
0: Yeah, the with the picks of an early defensive end or offensive lineman, it kind of gives I know a lot of Saints fans PTSD kind of thing considering with what what's happened in the past.
1: Yeah, and speaking of that, I do want to play the Trevor Penning clip from Dennis Allen just to kind of bridge off of what Matt said. Um, because I do think that it's uh, this 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 answer was interesting. Let's listen. Yeah. How important this off season is for Penning, just considering it's his first off season, where he really gets to work on
2: technique. And yeah. Look, I think it's huge. Um, I mean, I think, look, here's the good news. The good news is, is that, you know, he, he's coming in with a clean slate. Uh, he's coming in healthy, so he's going to have an an opportunity to go through a full off season program, both from a lifting perspective, and from a practice perspective. And I think those are two critical things when you're talking about, you know, still a, a young guy. I know this is going into his third year, but he missed basically his whole rookie season. Uh, and then last year, um, you know, he, he missed all the offseason program before, you know, being put in as, the, as a starting left tackle. So I think this is going to be an uh, important offseason for him. Um, and, and I think being able to start on a clean slate with a, with a lot of new eyes on you, uh, I think will be beneficial for him
1: there's another one where it's like he's being honest there and I don't even know if he intended to be as honest as he was, but so you're talking about a clean slate for a guy. Yeah. So who does he have a clean slate with the The new offensive line coach? Yeah. So I, (laughs) you know, this is something that I wondered about throughout the season and, and I think you're, you're kind of getting indications now of like, I don't think Doug Marone liked Trevor very much at all. You know, I don't, I don't think that they worked well together. I just don't think that, 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 system program, you know, that, that development plan, whatever was working. And I think that the coaching staff was aware of that. Um, and so hopefully, yeah, hopefully that's what you, you know, if you're trying to look at the, the, the bright side of like, how can we still hope for Trevor Penning to, to return some of that investment as a first round pick it's that it just was not working last year. Um, he didn't have a right. training camp. It just didn't, the development wasn't there. You got benched. So hopefully he can come back this off season, do the work he needs to do, have a coach that maybe understands him a little better and can get more out of him. That's what the hope is. And that's what I think the team is hoping for. Um, But yeah, I did think
0: that, you know, the clean slate thing was interesting. Yeah, that Uh, definitely stood out to me too. And right away went to, all right, new coach, fresh slate, right? Like you said. Yeah. Uh, So, and hopefully that's true.
1: Hopefully that is what happens. Um, If not, man that's going to look like a real bad pick and it already does but it's going to look even worse because <laughs> right now he's two years in He still got two years on that rookie deal if you can get a productive player over the next two years you'll start to look at that pick a, a little differently but it's got to happen so we'll see
0: but yeah, we i agree that this is a huge offseason play. we got to worry about one tackle with a knee issue and then the other tackle has feet issues But yeah, that's why if Ryan's knee
1: issue is less of a concern, then I I can handle the right side or the left side of the line. Yeah. But all right, let's wrap up this segment. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about what Jeff Ireland said, more combine-related stuff, and then we'll get out of your hair. But for now, this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Gillard. We'll be right back.